We continue our study of Exodus, Exodus, and we're in Exodus 18 this morning, and I'll read the first uh, number of verses from our worship folder. You may follow along there or in your own Bibles. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other, Eliezer, who he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and, your, and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the land <clears throat> hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders to Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, before God. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Praise Thanks be to, be to God. Lord, you give us helps and tools to guide and assure us. Surely your word brought to us by Pastor Andrew and massaged into our hearts this morning by your spirit can do that. Make it so, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. In Christ, for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to be back and to have had a little break, but to open God's Word with you again this morning. I want to start in a place that is near and dear to a lot of our hearts, Chick-fil-A. They are doing good work over there. I know a lot of you appreciate it. We had our fundraiser not too long ago, and I feel like we could have had a congregational meeting there. Uh, there were so many people. It has been said Whatever they are frying their chicken in and their waffle fries, those are the truly essential oils. Um, 
Not my observation, but it's a good one. The reason why I want to start with Chick-fil-A is because uh, Shane Windemeyer was a person that never thought he would appreciate Chick-fil-A. Uh, Shane Windmeyer uh, found himself standing with Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan's wife and family, on the 50-yard line of the Chick-fil-A-sponsored Peach Bowl. The reason why this was such a monumental uh, occasion was that Dan was a, is a leading LBGTQ activist. Uh, he is a best-selling author, and he is the director of Campus Pride, who was, just a year before, organizing protests against Chick-fil-A because of their support for various uh, traditional marriage organizations. But he was surprised, Shane was, when he got a phone call one day from Dan Cathy himself. He wondered what was going on. Uh, was he going to set his lawyers on him? All of that. Uh, he thought he knew Dan in his own words. He was like, uh, like most LGBTQ people, I was provoked by Dan's public opposition to marriage equality his company's problematic giving history. I had the background, I had the history on him, or at least so I thought. I had my own preconceived notions about who he was. I knew this character. No way did he know me. That was my view, but it was flawed. Once Dan called him, they began a relationship. They began talking back and forth. Uh, they had meals together. They asked hard questions of one another. Uh, through all of this, Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communications and built trust. Again, Shane's words. His demeanor has always been one of uh, kindness and openness. Even when I continued to directly question his public actions and the funding decisions, Dan embraced the opportunity to have dialogue and hear my perspective. He and I were committed to a better understanding of one another. Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ, his commitment to being a follower of Jesus more than just simply being a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for the genuine beliefs about marriage. And so the time came as their relationship continued to be grounded in trust and respect, where Dan thought it would be good to invite him to the ball game that their company was sponsoring. Again, Shane's words, it was Dan who took a great risk in inviting me. He stood to face the ire of his conservative base and even a potential boycott by being seen or photographed with an LGBTQ activist. He could have been portrayed as caving to the gay agenda by welcoming me. Instead, he stood next to me most of the night, putting respect in, in front of fear. There we were on the sidelines, Dan, his wife, his family, his friends, and I, all enjoying the game. 
and building a relationship with someone I thought I never would understand truly mattered. I start here because so much of what we see in Exodus chapter 18 is how Yahweh uses respectful relationships based on trust and truly listening to one another to build his kingdom. Both relationships that are outside of the covenant people of God, as we're going to see through Moses and Jethro, and then also with relationships that benefit the people of God, as we're going to see in Jethro's advice to Moses as it plays out in the rest of the chapter. God is at work. We've been seeing that all throughout uh, the, book of Gen- or the book of Exodus. Uh, God's intention in freeing the Israelites from the Egyptians was that his name would be known among the nations. And now we're beginning to see how that falls out. Last week we heard about Amalek and the Amalekites and, and how they raged against uh, the, the God of the Israelites, how they raged against Yahweh and they raised the fists and they would not bow down. Now we see a different nation. We see Midian, represented by Jethro, coming, and their reaction is very different. Uh, And their reaction uh, is uh, what we want to look at this morning. I I have it titled in your notes, your outline, The Transformation of an Enemy. Now, you may not think about Jethro right away as an enemy. We met Jethro back in chapter 2 or 3. We certainly saw him in chapter 4. This was Moses' father-in-law. He has a couple different names throughout the scriptures, Ruel, Jethro, Hobab, uh, but it's all the same person. Uh, and, and Moses came into his family as a refugee out of Egypt. He was welcomed in by Jethro, and they started a relationship. Jethro thought enough of Moses to give him Zipporah, his daughter. Uh, Forty years, Moses worked with him. You can imagine, you know, sitting down to do the books, uh, sitting around the campfire, all of these different things. They grew in respect for one another, even though they were parts of different tribes, even though they didn't share the same beliefs. Jethro was a priest in Midian, the Midianite gods. We don't know exactly who that was. Midian was a descendant of Abraham through Keturah, uh, Abraham's second wife. Uh, They show up as enemies for Israel throughout the scriptures. We certainly certainly see that in the Judges. Uh, But he was a priest in Midian, uh, not worshiping Yahweh, as I'll demonstrate to you in just a moment from the text here. Moses, of course, was God's chosen servant to lead his people out of Israel. Different people, different sides of the fence, belonging to to different sort of mimetic tribes. This is what is being used to talk about our culture today. We're not just red state and blue state. We all belong to our tribes. We've got the Make America Great Again. We've got Antifa. We've got Black Lives Matter. We've got alt-right, all of these different tribes. Uh, Moses and Jethro were opposite of each other, and yet they shared a deep respect for one another. You see that in verse 7. Moses 
when he sees his father-in-law coming, goes out and meets him, bows down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. These are people that had shared life together, and they were able to communicate at that level, even though they were uh, from different sides of the fence, different tribes. Part of it is that they are image bearers of God. And this is the thing that unites all of us, no matter what tribe you might identify with. We are all image bearers of God, and this is our most fundamental sort of source of identity. Whether you identify as a follower of Jesus or not, you are made in the image of God. And as such, we need to give our respect to those folks, just as we see Moses and Jethro engaging here. This relationship allows them to listen and to hear. Notice, if you can just go back and you'll see again how often the, the ideas of listening and hearing come up. That's how it starts out in verse 1. Jethro, priest of Midian, heard all that God had done uh, from uh, for Moses and for his people Israel. Then Moses went into his father-in-law in verse 8, and he told them all that the Lord had done. And Jethro rejoiced for what he had heard. There, there is a real, one of the ways that respect manifests itself is by really listening, uh, hearing what the, what the folks say. Bryant yesterday in our C group training used uh, HDR, to hear, to define, and to respond. You know, what it means to really listen to somebody else, not just shout louder, not just put up the, you know, the more powerful meme, but to really listen to where the heart is for those who are at a different place than we are. And notice then how, how it, it culminates, this relationship of respect where Jethro and Moses listen to one another. Uh, verses uh, 10 and, and 11 and 12, Jethro says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro was a priest in Midian. He was not worshiping Yahweh as far as we can tell. Uh, but he is able to say, blessed be Yahweh. And there's an important point here. Uh, and this is why, you know, I mentioned the, the transformation of an enemy. There's lots of different ways that we can be enemies of God. It can be enemies like the Amalekites and actively fighting against God. You may think of Shane and the LGBTQ movement and how they feel about traditional marriage and uh, biblical Christianity. Uh, there, there may be an active enemy sort of status there. But you can also be a very moral, upright, good person and still be an enemy of God. I think this is one of the things that we see with Jethro. There's no indication here that he had antipathy towards Moses or towards the Israelites, but he wasn't worshiping Yahweh. He, he was following another God. He was following a, a different path, but now he no longer is. Look at verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And this is so key 
for every single person who is an image bearer of God to hear and understand, punctuated by thunder right now. Every single one of us uh, is called to acknowledge the Lord, not only as our Creator, but as our Lord, as our King. This is the thing that is so, you can be a good person, you can, you can uphold a moral code, you can fit in well to an ethical society, you can be a good Jew, you can be uh, a good Mormon, but that does not mean that you are submitted to the Lord, that you are surrendered to Him. And this is the thing that marks every person who is a follower of Jesus. We recognize that the Lord is our King, that the Lord has our heart and He has our worship. Note as we go on in this passage, it helps us to see the world clearly. He, he recognizes that the Lord, again in verse 11, is greater than all gods because in this affair they, the false gods, dealt arrogantly with the people. When we surrender our hearts to the Lord, when we, we give ourselves in faith to Him, we see that every other system sets itself up uh, as a tyrant. You know, as, as a slave driver, if you worship money or status, it, it will use you up. It will deal arrogantly with you. You will never find the satisfaction that you need. If you worship your spouse or your kids or your grandkids, if they are what you are looking for as your meaning, they will disappoint you. Uh, you will disappoint them. It will never be enough. It will deal arrogantly. They will deal arrogantly with you. It is only Yahweh. It is only His grace and His mercy where we will find what our heart truly longs for. It is only Him that will satisfy Him. And Jethro recognizes this by bringing a burnt offering. You see that there in verse 12. So often the offerings, you know, were connected with sin. Uh, there was the recognition that something has to die in order for us uh, to have life. And Jethro, in responding to this knowledge that God is God, that all of these other gods are not God, he, he says, I, I'm looking for a sacrifice, a substitute in my behalf. And this is where we look not only to Yahweh as the great God, but we look to His Son Jesus as our sacrifice, the atonement, the one who died in our place. And we put our faith and we put our trust in Him as our sacrifice. And then finally, you see that Mo, or Jethro eats a meal with Aaron and all the elders. They come around him. He connects himself to the people of God. This is such a perfect picture of what conversion, transformation looks like in the Old Testament. To acknowledge that God is God, that all these false gods are not. To look for a sacrifice of atonement and to belong to God's people. To believe and to belong. This theme that we've been talking about throughout the course of, of our summer. We see it happening in Jethro's life. And one of the primary questions and applications of this is, do you know the Lord as this God? 
You know, do you truly, are you truly submitted to Him, surrendered in your life? It is such a grace. And this is, the story is just filled with this. You know, Moses is, is testifying. You know, what did the Israelites do to redeem themselves? Nothing. I mean, they, they've been grumbling along the way. They, they were weak. They were tattered. They didn't do anything, but Yahweh intervened on their behalf and rescued them. And this is what Moses is testifying to, and this is what Jethro is responding to, is the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that delivers us from the deepest of our enemies. There's something, too, here to note that doesn't happen overnight between Moses and Jethro. I mean, there's a lot of respect. There's a lot of listening. Uh, but it takes 40 years. Uh, Moses has been in Jethro's household for 40 years, and, and Jethro hadn't converted. He hadn't surrendered to the Lord. Uh, and sometimes it's that way in our relationships. I don't know the final outcome of the relationship between Dan and Shane. As far as I know, they are still in their particular positions. Uh, but God uses those relationships oftentimes over decades. Uh, and some of you can give testimony to that fact. I, I, it's also, I think, worth noting that Moses' testimony has changed. Moses has changed. You know, when he, when he left Jethro several months earlier than this, he was less than sure about his own relationship with Yahweh. He, he wasn't even completely forthright in 1416 when he leaves Jethro about telling Jethro what he was going to do in Egypt. But now Moses' testimony has changed, and he is testifying to God's goodness. And this, of course, is what captures the heart of Jethro. And I wonder sometimes, you know, we ask ourselves about evangelism, and we think about uh, the testimony that we share. I, I wonder sometimes if, you know, the, what makes us ineffective in our evangelism is not that we don't have a, a program or five steps down, but that our own testimonies are so tepid. Uh, you know, here Moses passionately can say, this is what God has done for me. And, 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 and can we connect that? You know, are we, are we giving thanks for the things that God is doing in our lives each and every day so that in the course of our regular life, we can say, let me tell you what God has done and is doing for me. You know, when we, when we share that, when we share God's deliverance and our weakness, which happens to us all the time, when we share that, it's surely going to move the hearts of those who are going around or, or who are walking alongside of us. This is the first part of this chapter. It's the transformation of the enemies of God. God has delivered the Israelites so that his name would be known among the nations. And this Midianite is the first fruit of that. But it's not only uh, sort of conversion that is the transformation in view. But there's also transformation of Moses as a leader, and indeed the, the whole nation, uh, they are undergoing a transformation from being a slave nation to being God's priests 
among the nations. So let's read about that. Pick it up in, in verse 13 of chapter 18. You have it there in your bulletin uh, or in your Bibles. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what's this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statues of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes, the laws, and to make them know the ways in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover... Look for able-bodied men from the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe. Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And he judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided among themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went away to his own country, basically never to be heard from again in the biblical record. Uh, notice how the respect that Moses and Jethro enjoyed between each other uh, benefits not only Jethro and his conversion, but now it benefits Moses and the entire nation of Israel as they've come into this new time. They, of course, were a slave nation. You know, for hundreds of years, for the entire life uh, of this people in the wilderness, they have been told what to do. They have been told when to eat. They've been told where to live. They've been told what their occupation is. They have been told everything. And now uh, they have been given freedom. And as you know, a lot of times people have been incarcerated for a long time. So they're given freedom. They can't handle it on the outside. They don't know how to live, what to do. And so we see here with the Israelites, they have all of this freedom, but they're fighting with each other. They don't know what to do. They want to understand how to walk before the Lord. And so they keep going to the only person that they know, Moses. Moses, tell us what to do. And you can imagine with anywhere from 750,000 to 2 million people, depending on how you understand it, uh, that's a lot of work. Moses can't do that on his own. He is not Jesus. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. And he's not omnipresent. I knew there was another omni. I was like, what is it? Uh, <laughs> I forgot a different one in the first service. Uh, so he, he doesn't, he's not all powerful, he's not all knowing, and he's not all present. Uh, he can't do all of these things. And of course, so much of this is true for us as well. 
You know, as we come, we, we need to know how to live. We need to know how to walk before the Lord. We need that instruction. We need that day by day. And so we have pastors and we have elders and we have uh, Bible study leaders and we have Sunday school teachers and all of that. But we recognize that none of those people are, uh, you know, any of those omnis in and of themselves. We, we need a community and, and Jethro recognizes that. And I think there are probably three or four things that I think are really important in, in, in walking through this. The first is this, the importance of the word. Notice, uh, and, and this is really the focus here, notice um, Moses uh, says, they're, they're coming to me uh, to inquire of God, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws, verse 16. Jethro confers, or, or he confirms Moses' inclination uh, in verse 19, and he says, You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the law and make them know the ways in which they must walk and what they must do. This whole plan here at the end, you know, with the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties and the tens, is about getting the Word of God down into the people. One writer puts it this way, they're making arrangements whereby the Word of God was made available right down to the smallest group, namely in this case the extended family, so that daily life could be ordered according to what the Lord has revealed through Moses. The Word of God, I've said it before, and, and I'm sure I'll say it again, is the most important thing, and it's probably the thing that will identify you as a Jesus follower uh, now and in the days to come, uh, as much as anything. There are a lot of people that, that believe in God. There are a lot of people that, that believe even that Jesus is the Son of God. ...is the, the significant difference and, and the important thing. And this is why we do this. I mean, expository preaching. This is not... Vandermoss coming up and, and giving his, his opinion on, on life or topics, how to have a better marriage or any of those things. This is going to God's Word and saying, here's what it said, look at it, think about it, apply it. We do the same thing in our Bible studies, in our Sunday schools. We, we go to God's Word and we say, how do we live? I need to know. And this is where our, our, our reliance is on, not on our own opinion or on our own idea. We, we go to God's Word. And this was so central for the life of the Israelites that from all the way to the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, the tens. And we want to equip you as well, as leaders in your homes, uh, as fathers, as mothers, uh, as older siblings, uh, to, to love the Word and to apply it in the life of your home so that you can live by it. It's so crucial for us. And Jethro confirms this to Moses, and then uh, he gives him 
a, a, a structure whereby this can happen. He says, Moses, you can't do this alone. Moses, you, you have to have people, you have to have chiefs, you have to have elders, you have to have deacons, you have to have uh, Sunday school teachers, you have to have you know, youth group leaders, all of these folks to help you bring this word and to uh, have it flow down into the smallest places in Israelite society. And, and Moses does this, he sets this up. And again, this is uh, in reference to two things. One is our limitations. We've already talked about this. You cannot do this alone. And, and unfortunately, I, this happens a lot. I mean, one of the reasons why pastoral burnout happens is that pastors, because they want to help, so often take on burdens and, and don't share them. I mean, that's my fault. That's Bryant's fault. That's Addison's fault, whoever. Uh, we, we do these things. Part of it also is the expectation that the pastor be omnipotent and be omniscient and be omnipresent, and, and we're just simply not. And so we, we need everybody, we need everybody to plug in at whatever level you are, whether you're the thousands, hundreds, fifties, or tens. Uh, we, we need people to, you know, this fall we're going to have a Sunday school class that is going to go through spiritual gifts. Uh, we want you to engage that, and, and, you know, if you don't know where you flourish serving, you know, come and find out and, and say, yes, I can help out Addison with the college ministry, or I really have a passion for foreign missions. I'm going to plug in at that place, or I am just a servant. I'm going to come alongside of our deacons. I'm going to be here to help open the church on Sunday mornings. I'm going to make coffee. There are numerous places uh, that you can plug in in the life of the church that will be for the blessing of the saints both inside and the ones who are outside of the church. And, and this is what we, we grasp and what Jethro helps us to see is that we don't do anybody any good. Uh, the pastors, the elders, or you if we try to simply do it ourselves. You know, if, if it's the 20% serving the 80%, it doesn't do the 20% any good, and it doesn't do the 80% any good, because you have gifts. Every single one of you has gifts that can be used in the service of the church. And my job, according to, you know, Ephesians and the New Testament, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this is what Jethro, uh, in his wisdom, and note, He's a new guy. Church. So it doesn't uh, he's a new guy and he's already telling Moses what to do. Don't get any ideas on that, but uh, uh, he's a new guy. He's, he's already telling Moses, you know, this is what you need to do. And we need that. I, I, I will say, you know, for Christ Church in specific, we welcome the vantage point of folks that are newer to the church. Sometimes you just get so used to things, and it's a question like, why do you do it this way? Huh, I guess we haven't really explained that. Uh, you know, we, we welcome the gifts of newer people to the church because it helps us as we seek to grow. The point, what links, I think, this chapter together, though, is that relationship between Moses and Jethro. Different tribes, different sides of... 
but it was a relationship of respect, a relationship where they lose to bring Jethro into a right relationship with himself. And it's this relationship that Yahweh used in order to free Moses from unhealthy leadership and to benefit the nation uh, so that they could walk before the Lord in joy. What are your relationships like? Obviously, with people inside of our tribe, whatever your tribe may be, it's a lot easier to have conversations, and sometimes it's easy to throw stones, uh, whether they are literal stones, verbal stones, or mimetic stones. Uh, it's easy to throw stones, people against who are in other tribes outside of our own. But the Bible is telling us we're made in the image of God. And God is at work in his world, making his name known. He is showing that he is the true God over against all the other gods. Will we be people that live and remain in backstage? Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We see that so clearly here in, uh, in our time, in this word. We see that we need you to to meet us, to, to give us the, the strength and the grace that we need. It is only as we recognize that we were your enemies. We were part of a different tribe, but you humbled yourself and you made yourself nothing in order that we might become everything in Christ Jesus. So Lord, overwhelm us with the beauty of that gospel. We pray it all in his name. Amen.